All right, we are second to last. We're almost there, you guys. It's been so good. Okay, today we are <laughs> um, We are reading in Nehemiah 12, verse 27 through 47, and you can bear with me. There are a lot of names, okay? All right. Here we go. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of Nedophaeathites. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azamaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up into the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, very smelly. And after them went to Hoshiah and the half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melile, I'm not saying that one right. Galile, that one wrong, you too. Amiah, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hananiah. With the musical instruments of David and the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up, to, up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, and the gate of Jeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priest of Eliakim, Messiah, Minimum, the first minion, Micaiah, Elaniah, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzai, uh, Jehonan, Melchizedek, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers, the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon." For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. 
Thank you. But yeah, this is the second to last one. So, uh, but let me just say uh, good morning to everybody. It's good to see everyone today. So, um, if you have not been with us, then jumping in, yeah, this is the, the second to last sermon, so you def- definitely don't want to miss next week. It'll be, we'll be landing the plane here, finishing up Nehemiah. And if you're joining us, though, if you're new around here, it's going to feel like you're coming in at the end of like a TV series and you're very confused, like what's happening? I need a recap. So uh, my daughter did tell me that every, do- every time I do the recap, she's like, oh no, <laughs> not again. It's the same thing every time, but that's because it's easier that way for me. That's, that's, and, and it's, you know, it just, then, then it, I'm trying to teach people the Bible. So that way they were like, oh, I get it now. Like, oh, that and that. Okay, got it. All right, so here's what's been happening in Nehemiah. Basically, God chose a people and he saved them from Egyptian slavery and uh, called them into their own land and called them to be a righteous and just kingdom. But they ultimately failed that call and uh, turned away from God and perpetuated evil and injustice in the world. And so God intervened in a very radical way to stop their evil ways. And he sent the Babylonians and the Syrians to exile them. They were gone for 70 years in Babylon. And after that time, people start returning. One of the people is Nehemiah. He is the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the ruler of the Persian Empire at the time. And Nehemiah secures resources to refortify Jerusalem, to repair the damage to the wall and repair the gates that have been burned down. And all of this really mattered because God had promised to bring, up, bring about the savior of the world through the descendants of Abraham. And so this people group, the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, they can't be destroyed because God is saying the hope of the world is gonna come through this people group. And we now know in hindsight, looking back, we know that's Jesus, that's our savior. So all of these events are building up to the life and ministry of Jesus. So Nehemiah is what the Hobbit is to Lord of the Rings. That's one way to look at the Bible. So we're in chapter 12, verse 27 today. Heather just read it for us. And uh, in last week, we looked at this idea of the, uh, the repopulation of the city, how they had to take very practical measures and very direct steps to actually get people to move back into Jerusalem. Even though Jerusalem's now been fortified, they've rebuilt the wall, they're they're, they're safer from their enemies. There's no such thing as complete safety, of course, Uh, but they're safer. And now they've got actually got to populate the city. So we looked at all of that and the, the great effort that went towards how do we make this a thriving city again? And we talked about how uh, there's a call upon us, upon our generation to value the city and uh, to have this Nehemiah call to, to, to value our city of Chicago and to see it as one of the most significant places that ministry and mission can be done because it's a place of such influence and there's so many people here who are so far from God. Cities tend to be places that are more secular and tend to be further from God. And so we want to be a missionary presence here like they uh, were in their day in, in one sense. That's, that's one way to look at it, especially in the days when they were in Babylon in exile. And then today what we're going to see is, as we're going to go through this, we've already read it, but they had this massive celebration and this dedication event. And so we're going to learn about the value of celebration and we're going to learn how to celebrate. So today we're going to celebrate like it's 99 BC. Let's pray. (laughs) Jesus, thank you for your word and um, thank you that... Every part of your word has so much to teach us and so much to guide us on and to, uh, that you want to use it to transform us. And I pray, t- pray today you would transform us. You'd give us a vision for how you want us to live, for the, the mission and ministry we have uh, here in Chicago. And God, that we would uh, be a people of great celebration, 
people who, uh, people who uh, dedicate the things that we have and the blessings that we receive, that we're people who dedicate those things to you, that we don't trust in those things, but we worship you for those things. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're getting towards the end of the book here, and it's very fitting that they have this, there's a high point now, it's a high point at the end of the book where they have this nationwide, this this everyone's invited gathering to say, we've got to dedicate this wall, we've got to celebrate this wall, and the, 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 you know, and celebrate the, the provision of God and the blessing of God and the protection of God. And their, their worship is so extravagant, and they, they talk about returning to the days of David and restoring things that have been lost from pro- previous generations, and it's so extravagant what they do. It's almost like they're transcending into the heavenly Jerusalem itself as they're worshiping and, and, and celebrating God. There's four big things that we see happening in this chapter. We see uh, that everyone's involved. Everyone's called. They go around to the whole region. Everyone's got to be involved in this. We see that the priests and the Levites, they purify the people. They go to this purification ceremony. We also see they have two choirs, marching choirs. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. And then we also see it ends, this, this day of celebration ends at the temple itself. And this massive, if you ha- you know, if you would to compare like a fireworks display to like a worship event. It was like July 4th level celebration event that they had planned at the temple. And so when I was thinking about this, I, I pictured as I was preparing this, it came to mind the end of, of, of Star Wars episode four, A New Hope, when Han and Luke get the medals, right? And there's, there's that awkward moment where they're just standing there and, and everyone's cheering and celebrating. And then like Chewie's in the background without a medal, which is an injustice, like how did that happen? Uh, but there's this big, you know, there's lots of people there, this big celebration that they're honoring and celebrating uh, what had happened. Now, in one sense, it might be obvious like, well, yeah, you should celebrate important milestones and things like that, but there's more to it than this because this was not, um, this was not from the law of Moses. We've, as we've gone through Nehemiah, one of the things, one of the refrains has been, They've said, well, what does the law of Moses say? They keep going back into the law of Moses, back into the revelation before and say, well, what does it say? Let's do what it says. They keep doing that. This is not that. There's nothing before that's telling them to do this. This is a new idea. This is a new celebration that they've come up with. They thought it was a good idea. I think it's a good idea. I'm sure we all think, yeah, it's a, you know, dedicate that it's finished. Let's do a dedication ceremony. Seems like a good idea. Anytime though, God's people engage in a project like this. You know, obviously, even the first time they built the temple, and now they're back restoring the temple. And throughout even Christian history, you think of like God's people building houses of worship and, you know, celebrating those things and dedicating those things. Anytime we're involved in something elaborate, something big like this, it's so important that we, do, we, we actually take a moment to point towards God because it's tempting to place our security and our identity in those things instead of in God. This was a recurring problem, in fact, for the Israelites. This is part of the problem that had led to their demise in the first place, that they had grown complacent. And this is the big challenge is the blessings of God, because God is a God who loves to bless. He loves his children, wants to answer prayers, wants to provide for us like any parent who's like, I want the best for my kids. I want to give them what they need and want to honor them and, and provide for them. And you know, all those things, like that's the parent heart of God. But the danger is, is that the blessings can be so good because the love is so good that then the blessing can replace God. Not because God did anything wrong or because there is anything wrong with God, but because there's something wrong with our hearts and we can then grow complacent and 
we can lack gratitude and not realize the very thing, the, the very person who provided all these things in the first place. This was a recurring problem for the people. And so it'd be tempting again, now that they've restored their, their defenses, like we're back, we're back, we did it. And it would it'd almost be like, you, if you've ever seen, or you can think of maybe a celebrity that, that doesn't like their fans, you know, like a celebrity that won't sign autographs or something, right? It's like, okay, these are the people that made you rich and famous. Like you're cutting off your, your very bread and butter right here. Like these are the people that you owe everything to. Like you should, you know, not be complacent and you should show some gratitude. Like if you're gonna be, if you wanna be famous, you gotta live with the, the consequences of that, right? That's almost, in one sense, it's a small, small parallel way to think about it. But it would be so tempting now that they've got these walls and now that they've got gatekeepers to guard the gates and now that they've got swords and spears and they've got all these different things, it would be so tempting to trust in those things and not trust in the God who has provided those things. And I think for us, for our time, you know, and in church history as well, you know, it, it should bother us and it, does, it, it bothers me when as Christians we can too much put our identity in even the buildings that we use, or the surroundings that we have, that we, we, we too much identify with those things. I mean, look, I think buildings are helpful, right? Especially when it's raining. You know, there's important reasons for buildings. But I think, and ultimately we want to, you know, we don't own this building. We're, we're renters here, but we want to become owners. That's our long-term goal. And I think there's, it, it, it's not a right or wrong thing. Different churches have different setups and do, you can house churches, you can have churches that build buildings. You can have either one. It's not a right or wrong thing. It, the issue is, where's your confidence? Where's your confidence? So the dedication ceremony is about honoring a milestone and a completion. Hey, we completed this huge project. Let's celebrate, let's rejoice, let's thank God for it. Like, yes, it is that, but it's far more than that. They are resetting their perspective. They're getting their hearts and their, their, their minds aligned to, to, to declare to every Israelite and all the other nations, this is by God and for God. And our confidence is completely in God. We're gonna make as much about God as we can because we don't trust in walls. We don't trust in gates. We don't trust in chariots. We don't trust in princes. We don't trust in armies. Now God can give those things. Those things can be necessary in a fallen world, unfortunately. But those are not, our confidence is not placed in those things. And so Nehemiah and Ezra, two of the big spiritual leaders at this time, are leading the people into this spiritual commitment to say our confidence, our security doesn't lie in these things and in the walls, although they might be necessary in a fallen world, our confidence, it's, we're honoring God, we're recognizing it's all for him and by him. Now, for us, as we relate this to ourselves, you know, God might change the plans of our church. He might have a different path for us. You know, maybe you know, he doesn't want us to buy this building. He can change that plan. But at this point, at this stage, I have enormous faith that this is God's direction for us. And that's the direction we've been moving in. We, we hold all things with an open hand. As, as a believer, you've got to be willing to always hold things with an open hand and say, because that's where your confidence lies, right? If you don't hold it with an open hand, then that's a sign that, oh, whoops, like I'm putting my hope in, in something else. But I have real faith and real confidence that one day we'll have our own dedication ceremony. I'm imagining a giant ribbon, a giant, we've got to get a giant pair of scissors. I really want, someone can figure out where you get those from, probably from China, takes six months to get here, but we'll get them eventually. And, 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 and we're gonna do that and celebrate and dedicate it. I, I would, that, that's, that's my anticipation, that's my hope. And we really shouldn't underestimate or devalue or, or misunderstand the importance of moments like this. 
of key moments of, of God's people getting together and all of, all of the, the ceremony that they had and all the singing and, and the music and, and it's so public, everyone's involved. We can't underestimate how important this is because if we, if we, if we do, we're in danger of actually becoming kind of presumptuous and, and, and we're in danger of going to the default mode of the human heart, which is essentially think, you, know, you don't say that, these aren't the things you say out loud, these are all the things that are buried in the heart, right? But essentially, when we're given to our own, our own impulses and we're given to our own ideas or our own ways of thinking, we, we, we tend to place our security in what we can touch and see and what we can control and what we what we've built, even what we've built, even our own resources, like we we provided for ourselves. Look at it, we can get arrogant about it. We provided for our own defense. We've, we did it. Look at how great we've gone to. We built up this amazing thing. And that's the, that's the human heart. The human heart wants to go in that direction. And a dedication ceremony like this is a, is a powerful way to reset the heart and to remind everybody, to set it in stone, this was by God and for God. It's a tool that serves a bigger purpose. Our joy is in him, not in what we have or not what he has provided for us. That's the power of a dedication ceremony that you, you recognize that you care about the things that God gives you and you care about the blessings and the provisions of God and the security that God provides. That you, you don't devalue that. You care about it, but you don't trust in it. You don't trust in it. So having some pomp, having some, some, some delight and some joy in these things it's in God is super important whenever you have a big blessing from God because there's only one slot for God. There's only one, there's only the God slot that, that the human heart wants to like worship. That's, you know, it's called idolatry, right? We always turn other things into idols, other things into God. So we always want to worship, put other things in the God slot, but there's only one person that can occupy the God slot and, and that's God. And he's pretty amazing. He's a, if you didn't know, he's a really big deal, you know, and he does really great stuff. And, and he's really awesome. You know, I really highly recommend, you know, swipe right. Like God's, God's amazing. And so we, we want to be so, so careful. The bigger the blessing, the bigger the provision, the bigger the, 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 you get to, whatever it is, that you say, wait a second, we've got to hit the pause button on this. And we've got to make sure that we get crazy. We go all out, just like Nehemiah's generation, all out on this, on this celebration. Now we have... You know, we do, you know, in one sense, you know, our Sundays are kind of like a, like a, a year, you know, we have mini celebrations, right? Every Sunday is supposed to be kind of like a, a Christian celebration. We're getting together to celebrate Jesus together. And of course, we have um, other events throughout the year that are, are high points, that are um, special moments to, to have extra special celebration in God. Of course, we, we plan those things out and do those different things from time to time. And um, it's important that we, that, we, that we do that. And, you know, we have, so we have, you know, they had singers, we have singers, they had all these instruments that were listed out here. We have uh, not all the instruments. They have, I don't, what, what is a lyre? Is that a stringed instrument? Anyone know what a lyre is? It's a little harp thing. Yeah, I always, anytime someone says lyre, I'm just like, it just sounds bad, you know? Um, I just think of Liar Liar. I think that's the movie that kind of think of Jim Carrey or something. But anyway, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's a branding problem. Again, another branding problem. So they, 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 now what they have that we don't have is they have a choir. You, you, you remember this from what Heather read? They had, actually, they didn't just have, have one choir. They had two choirs, which I think is rubbing it in a little bit. I think it's a little bit boastful. 
We, we've had choirs in the past at Trinity, not, not for a little while now, but like on Easter and different things like that, we've gotten together a little, we've thrown together a little choir, you know, get some singing voices together. And I, who, who wants a choir? Who wants a Trinity choir? Anyone here want to have a Trinity choir? I think I, got to, I see those hands, I see those hands. I, I personally, I, I want a Trinity choir again. I think, I think that uh, one of the ways to bring heaven to earth, other than psychedelics, which we're Christians, so we're not going to do that, but is choirs. <laughs> is, 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 I, think, I think to have a divine experience, you know, when you, I mean, aren't you with me on this? Like if you hear a, a really powerful choir singing, it's like a wall of invisible joy, just like hitting you all at once. And it's like something happens to you, right? It's, is, am, I, am I crazy? Everyone's on the same page with this, right? Exactly, exactly. Even, even ch- ch- child choirs that are like really bad, like they're, they're cute, you know? So even that has magic to it. You know, there's just something about choir. So, um, so I, think, I think we need a choir. I think we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna print out some pamphlets here, spread them out to the neighborhood. Uh, just call me Buster Moon. This will be our Sing movie moment, if you've ever seen the movie Sing. We just gotta hope that our building doesn't get destroyed in the process. Um, but I think, I think we need, a, and not only uh, choirs, um, I think we need, a, it needs to be a marching choir. They were marching. Do you think we could do, is that too much? That's too much, someone said yes, that's too much. But they were, so I'm just trying to be biblical people. We're just, there's so many parallels for us in Nehemiah. We gotta, we gotta learn from this stuff. We gotta, all right, so, <laughs> so what, okay, so here's my other, I wasn't sure if I was gonna share this or not, but here's my other, my other random idea is for the marching choir is, um, okay, okay, just, just imagine with me and just open your mind to the possibilities. Um, Halloween, okay, Dr- the choirs dress up in, in cloaks with lanterns and we get a big fog machine and we, we, we walk around singing like really like creepy songs and to get people's attention and then, and then somehow figure out a way to make it about Jesus still. As, right, we could do that, we could figure that out. Would people like to do that, throw out candy? People, all right, just spitballing here, people, just spitballing. We'll go back to just having a choir. We'll start with, we'll start with one choir, but, but hey, look, I wanna put a stake in the ground and say like Nehemiah, why don't we shoot for two choirs? I was even thinking three, but that might be a little crazy. But like really, really going all out on, on the choir business here because I think that you know, the, the point of all this is to maximize enjoyment in God. What are the things that excite your heart, that fill your heart with joy when you think about your faith, when you think about God, when you think about what God has done, when you think about Jesus, when you think about following God, what are the things that evoke passion and joy and excitement towards those things? Do more of those things, right? We do more. Now, there are some things that are just disciplines. You just choose to do them because they're sometimes grueling or sometimes hard and you just don't always have the heart for it and you still, that's maturity, right? You still choose to do it. But God's given us a lot of joyful things like choirs and singing and our, band, our bands do a great job. Let's just honor our musicians and our worship leaders and our singers and our sound crew, our sound audio tech crew and honoring Zach Jarrett, who's in the lobby, I think, who installed new speakers. We have new speakers today. Yeah. So if you... If you know, did anyone notice the difference? I just want to know, anyone notice the difference? We got, yes, we got, okay, we got people who noticed it. Excellent, excellent. Um, so we want to maximize enjoyment in God. So now one of the things they do in this, on this dedication day is they, they have to gather up all, all the Levites because the, the pop, you know, they're trying to get people to move into the city. That's still in progress. And so they don't have enough priests and Levites in the, 
uh, in the city in the, you know, for the temple ministry right now that they really need. So they have to spread the word far and wide. They get all the Levites in because they want to do this purification thing. I mentioned this purification thing that they're doing. We're not told specifically how this worked, but um, we can imagine a few you know, examples of how this could work. That they, Maybe they're using water. This would be a common thing to use water for like a purification ceremony. So perhaps that when people are coming into Jerusalem for this dedication day, they're, they're washing people's hands, they're washing their faces. Maybe they're doing something like that. And uh, as a symbol of, hey, we're, we're, we'd be made holy by God. We're, we're set apart for God. So actually think about it like this. In, in the way that singing as, a, as an, an outward act um, brings internal joy, like a purification ceremony or, or having water like, you know, washed on your hands or over your face, that, or even like, a, like baptism, think about baptism, something like that, can evoke an inner desire in you to be more holy. Say, so, yeah, this is, this is what this, you know, anytime you do a, a ceremony like that, it's a reminder to you, this is what this, this means. You think about people getting married, you know, and light, lighting a unity candle, you know, it's like you do these symbols because you're, you're trying to act out something that, that should be something on the inside. So in the same way that singing produces that joy, so this purification process can, can generate more of that desire to say, I want to be holy, I want to be set apart for God. And so... Um, they, they, even, they go gangbusters on this. They start, they, they, they're purifying the walls and they're doing, they just wanna be, they want everything to be set apart. They wanna be maximum spiritually focused. This is all for God. We're going all out on this. And the other impressive thing that we, we can't forget is that this is for everyone. This is for everyone that's in the surrounding region, everyone that's been involved in this whole project, everyone that's returned from exile, they have to come to the dedication ceremony. They have to be a part of this. This was, if you think back to a few weeks ago, we talked about the Festival of Booths that they were celebrating. Again, that was like a national event. Everyone's, hey, you gotta build your little booth and now you gotta live in the booth as well. You didn't, didn't, you'd forgotten that, but you gotta remember that part of it too. So everyone's involved in this and uh, for me, you know, for anyone who enjoys ministry or in, in, enjoys, you know, church community or really values the church, like there, there's a big lesson in this for us in our, in our context, in our day and age. We're a bit different to Nehemiah's generation. So there's a bit of a leadership lesson here for us. But when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, there's been plenty of times in my history as a leader where it's like, you, you, you plan a big celebration event, you plan something really important and, and people are excited about it and you spread the word and you, you, you make sure the worship team is, is all set and you got all the singers you need and you got all the other volunteers and all the people that you need and, you get, and, and everyone says they're excited about it. Like, we're gonna be there, it's gonna be amazing. And then when the day comes, there's, it seems like there's still an enormous amount of people who they just had something else they had to finish, like that Netflix marathon or something else they had to do. And you're just like, ah, ah, leadership lesson 101, you know, stab to the heart. Like, our generation, we're a little different. We, we need to get back into the heart of Nehemiah's generation here. Now, obviously there are some differences. They just came out of exile, but we just came out of a pandemic, you know? So I think, I hope that we're valuing being in person. I hope that's a big deal for us, that we value that. Um, but there are big differences for us. You know, we, we're a generation that's got so many distractions. They had to build their own defenses. They had to appoint their own armies. They had to make their own national security. None of us, I don't think, none that I know, is involved in any of that kind of work, right? So we don't directly see, we, don't, we, we struggle with, again, with complacency and ingratitude. We don't see 
the peace and prosperity, what it costs, the peace and prosperity that we have, because it's a dark, evil world out there and we live in the exception. We, don't, we, don't, we haven't had to build that. We don't, haven't had to just build, rebuild a city and realize, come out of exile, rebuild this and restore it and realize how important it is. We, 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 we're so distracted with so much comfort and overconsumption of things that we, we got our priorities are kind of mixed up and, and messed up. And it, it makes sense. It makes sense that we, that we struggle to do this. There's so many things we can learn. We can learn about the extravagant worship and the singing and the choirs. Don't get me started on the choirs again, but we can learn about all of that. But, and we, we can learn about, about just the heart that everyone had to say, this matters. I've got to be there. It matters so much. Now, listen, obviously for us, church, you know, every week, it's not like a, one, a once in a lifetime city ded- you know, wall dedication. Obviously, there's some differences there. But the heart, when we think about the, the mindset and the heart behind it, we, 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 we can definitely learn from it. So obviously, there's understandable reasons that we might miss important key things, you know. But the thing we have to question ourselves on is if I'm downgrading or devaluing gathering with God and gathering God's people because of things that don't really matter. Obviously, people are sick at times or they've got work commitments. They, you, know, you, you, know, you can't get out of certain work commitments, right? Or there's travel or weddings or there's different things happening, right? I get it. Like this, We all have those things in our lives. Our culture is very transient and, and, and we like to move around and do a lot. We just can't be happy sitting still doing the same things over and over again. We want to be constantly stimulated. And so, but it's, so the question is, we've got to ask ourselves is, are the distractions in my life and the things that are taking me away from the celebrations of God, are they legitimate or are they illegitimate? That's a constant question we should ask ourselves and, and do a gut heart check on that and, 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 and make adjustments on that and say, I want to be like Nehemiah's generation, generation to say, when it matters, when something big's going on, I do everything to be there. It's, that's what's in my heart is to be there, to make it a priority. Even let me address just the idea of doing church online or just or having an online stream. Let me just say this that you know I'm grateful that we can broadcast this and that people can join us online because you know you have people with mobility problems, elderly people, um, people are sick, you know, you have a snow day, you have an excessive amount, you know, you think about hard to imagine that right now, right, with the mugginess around, but but if you think about those, those days in February when you get all that, maybe you get a huge amount of snow and, you know, I can understand like, hey, yeah, online is, is, is a good option in all those different situations. But here's what online, online is not church. If you watch travel vlogs, are you traveling? You're just watching somebody else travel. So watching church online is just watching other people go to church. That's what it is. Now, I'd rather that than nothing and I'm grateful for those who can't, you know, who are not able to make it, who can still participate with us here. I think that's so important. Uh, and, and there's value, definite value in that. But what's not cool is when people who can come start making the choice to say, well, I'm just going to watch it online just because whatever, a different kind of reason that's not legit. And you know it if it's the case, you know it, right? You just do the gut, heart, the heart check, the gut check, and you just know like, yeah, I'm making kind of excuses for this. And we want to be like Nehemiah's generation and make it a priority. You know, even, you know, coming back off the, out of the pandemic and just, you know, I feel like a lot of stuff's returned to normal, but there's still, I don't know, what percentage would you put on your life in terms of like, what, what are you back to? 
what are you back to? I was talking to someone recently, they were like, yeah, you know, I feel like there's like a 10%, I'm still not back. Like, in terms of like how I think and how I operate and how I act, I'm still stuck a little bit from the last few years and I just gotta get, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in a rut in certain things and I gotta break out of that. And I think we've all been affected by that. I know, I know for myself, I, I look at certain things and certain habits and attitudes and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm still stuck a little bit back there. And I gotta, I gotta come out of that and break free of that and re be restored. And Nehemiah was fighting so hard to restore what their generation had lost. Fighting so hard to restore what their, their generation was lost. And one of the things it said it here, uh, when Heather read it uh, very, at the end of the passage here, that they restored their worship to the days of David and Solomon. So David is kind of the worship leader of the Bible, right? If you're in heaven, David's gonna be leading worship every time, right? You know, uh, he's like the greatest. And so they restored, they basically were like, hey, we've lost a lot of the, 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 the setup that, that David instituted for us. And so we're gonna go back to that. And I think for us as well, in terms of our worship and lots of other things with our ministry, you know, we have to say, what was it that God, you know, what are our roots? What were things we did in the past that we've lost, that they just fell by the wayside? And we, we say, we've got to, and we, we've definitely restored things and we've gotten back to lots of things, but there's still more work to be done to fully restore, to fully engage and go back to the important values that we have as God's people, the things that we once enjoyed to say, let's rebuild, let's you've got to fight at every step of the way. Keep fighting it and keep uh, working towards it. Nehemiah here actually, on this same day, we learn on this big ceremonial day, they'd have these big choirs and this big fireworks worship display, as it were, uh, at the temple, and they have this big thing. He also appoints leaders into certain you know, new responsibilities. And this is something that has happened throughout Nehemiah at key moments. He's grabbing people and saying, all right, we just did this, but to sustain it, we gotta get somebody else involved. We got, now you need help with this and you need to come over and help with this and you need to get involved in this. And so he's, he's looking at the storehouses and, and um, the, the offerings that they're gathering up, there were several things that were listed out there that were mentioned that, hey, we, we need people to actually oversee the proper administration of these responsibilities. And so even on this, you know, Nehemiah is pretty smart. The passion of this day, the exuberance of this day, the celebration of this day, because think about this, this is their promised land. They had spent 400 years in Egyptian slavery. This is what God said this is like heaven on earth. This is what you're supposed to have. This is the, the call of God on that generation. And they lost it. They were exiled. There was a remnant for sure, but they were destroyed and almost completely obliterated. And now at this dedication ceremony, they're back. They're back to where, to the promise, to the highest expression of the promise that you could imagine. They're back in that place. And to sustain, it's so important. So at this high point of this celebration day, Nehemiah again is calling on people. Hey, we've got this responsibility that needs to get filled. Hey, the storehouses need to be taken care of. Hey, the, 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 the offerings that are being brought in, we need people to uh, take responsibility for that as well. He's, he's pointing it out at every phase, every step of the way. Nehemiah is working on this relentlessly. And this is one of the, the, the clear keys to leadership, one of the clear lessons of leadership. Anyone in a lead, we have amazing leaders in our church, amazing small group leaders and serving coordinators and coaches and uh, just so blessed by the quality of leaders that we have in our church. And if you're somebody in leadership or you aspire to leadership, you, we've got to learn this, that this is the, the relentless activity of leadership is basically, I mean, basically this is my job. My job is constantly asking people to do things. 
That's what it is. That's what it is to be a part. It's not just pastoring, it's any leadership role. Because to build something significant requires massive amounts of teamwork. And it requires people getting along and liking each other and understanding the purpose of what they're doing and having clear understanding of what they're doing and working together. And, you know, there's all these different elements that go into it. And Nehemiah is an absolute master at this. On this high point, this dedication day, we've made it back. He's still like, you know, I've noticed a couple of areas that are still empty. And we've got to get this person for this and this person for this. And that's true even for us. He's, a, he's, a, he's a, you know, appointed these gatekeepers. He's appointed, you know, singers and priests and, and officials and Actually, in, in any typical organization, you've, prob- you've probably heard of the 80-20 rule. You heard of this rule, the 80-20 rule, the Pareto prin- principle, where it, the, the idea is that, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. All right? So thank you to the 20 percenters out there in the world. You know who you are. And um, so part of the 80-20 rule, partly it's, it's, it's one of those unfortunate things that just any organization, it just tends to be the way it is. You just have 20% of the people that get it, that, 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 that want to buy into it and are all in and they just give themselves. And then 80% are kind of like, meh. Like, like I, I, you know, I like it, but I don't like it that much, you know. And, and, and you, now actually, I will say, over the, the course of the history of our church, I think we've always bucked the 2080 thing. I think we've, I don't know what, I don't know how you could measure what we've been, but maybe more like 30 or 40 or something, maybe 50, I don't know. But I feel like we have high levels of participation and ownership in our church. And I just feel like that's God's blessing and grace on us. And thank you to everyone who's, who makes that. That's, that's a team, that takes a team of people to actually pull that off. And so that's, that's amazing to see that. But, but that's the kind of thing, I think during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, the 80-20 thing got, got worse. It was more like 1090 or even like 595, I think, because you had a few amount of people who were like, you had like preacher, worship team, and, and technology people, you know, audiovisual people. It's like that little team of people and everyone else is just watching it on TV, right? That was, remember those days? Remember those days? I'm so glad we're through those days. We're not going back to those days. I'm telling you, if there's another pandemic, I'm saying no. I've already, I've already decided if something comes around, I'm like, I don't care, lock me up. We're, we're, no, we're not doing it. It was bad. It was bad to lock down. Lockdowns were not, not a good idea. I mean, most people are recognizing that now. Like, this was not good. Like, this, obviously, anyway. Uh, all right. We probably just got canceled off of YouTube. I don't know. We're getting sense, sense, censorship's coming. Something's happening. So, all right. Where did I get to? I'm totally off base here. For those who are, if you're the 20% kind of person, you know it. If you're the 80% person, you may not know it. That's the difference between a 20%er and an 80%er, right? The 20%ers know, yeah, I mean, because they see the difference. The 80, 80% of people are like, what? I'm a part. What? I'm, I, I'm here. I show up. And if you're in that zone, you're on, I would say, question like, what, what is it that can push you over the edge? What is it that can push you deeper in to help sh- share the load, to help share the responsibilities, even on the highest points of celebration to say, there's more that needs to be done. There's still voids, there's still openings, there's still opportunities. What is it that I can step into that? And you know, take on the servanthood attitude of Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to serve, take on that attitude, start with something small. You don't have to jump all the way and it t- takes time to grow into that and time to develop that. That's my encouragement to all of us today. And then, and then it ends uh, like this. It's amazing. Verse, uh, let me read verse 43 again. Verse 43. It says this. It says, And they, they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and children also rejoiced. 
and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Now, it could literally mean that people who were nearby, geographically nearby, they could, it was so loud they could just hear it. Like, it could mean that. Um, it definitely means that the news of this spread, like the people heard about it. It definitely means that. Um, probably a bit of both is happening, but it definitely means that it was such a big deal that, that the whole surrounding regions, it, it sent a message to everyone. Our purpose as a church is to enjoy and share the grace of Jesus. Enjoy, and that's, that's our biggest purpose, is to enjoy, because it's such a gift, such a free gift. That's, that's what worship is. Worship is enjoying the goodness and the freeness and the completeness of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That, that's what worship is. So you're enjoy, we're enjoying, we're basking in that grace, relishing in that grace. We can do that every day. We don't need a, a wall that we built to then be like, yay, let's celebrate God. Like we can just celebrate Jesus every day. So we can be doing that. That's the greatest thing that we have, celebrating Jesus. And but also it's to enjoy and share that grace with people. It's, it's to spread that grace so, that, so that, that everyone around can hear it. And you know, that's the powerful thing about joy, right? It's contagious. Isn't joy contagious? Joy is contagious, right? It's infectious. I don't know if we should be using viral terminology here to describe <laughs> positive emotions. <laughs> We're a little, <laughs> a little gun shy about that. But the point is, the point is that that, that whatever, you know, those, those, that, that happiness that God gives us, that joy that God gives us, that's the, the greatest light that we can shine to the world. That's the greatest thing that the world is, is drawn uh, towards. And the greatest celebration we can have is in Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Jesus told us that all the things in the Old Testament, all the things leading up to Nehemiah, during Nehemiah, all the things after Nehemiah, all those things were about him. They're pointing towards him. And so at the end of this celebration, the people gathered at the, at the temple and have this giant, massive, the, the two choirs join their invisible force field of joy together and make an even bigger one. And Jesus, what does Jesus say in the gospels? He, he, he predicted that the, that temple would be torn down. And he was talking about his own body being crucified, that he, our home is with God. He's our temple. He's our home. He's our joy. He's our delight. That we don't gather at the base of a temple and make our worship there. We gather to the feet of Jesus and make our worship to him, the greatest savior of the world who paid the ultimate price to free us. Let's think about how uh, we can respond. Think about following Jesus today. If you, don't tr if you don't know Jesus, whether you're joining us online, you're in person, here's how you do it. You pray and you, you tell God all the junk and you ask it and to take it away and you turn your life over to him. And you say, it's all about you, I want you. You pray and the other thing you do is you tell someone. You don't leave today without telling someone. Or if you're online, you don't leave without telling someone. And then the next thing you do is you get baptized. Get baptized like Jesus was.